0: Hello and welcome to the Autistic Bodybuilding Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Raposa, and today we're going to talk about apraxia. But first, I do want to mention I did take a week off last week. If you were expecting a podcast on October 8th, it's not you, it was totally me, I was in the middle of moving and I kind of ended up skipping one and I figured it was better to skip one at the beginning of the podcast than later on when I have you guys on a weekly groove to all of a sudden just duck out one week. So I figured if I was going to mess up, it would be better to be now. Normally, what I do is I batch record all my videos and podcasts so that I can be sure everything goes out when it's supposed to, but unfortunately, with the move and everything, I've gotten a little bit behind on both, and that's why you'll notice some of my videos have been going out late on the day on Wednesday, or this podcast will be released late on Thursday i will get back on track guys if you've been following me i just super appreciate your patience again uh spatial agility that's going to be a course to help you with clumsiness or even apraxia like we're talking about today so if you want to be notified when i launch that course You can sign up for the newsletter at autisticbodybuilding.com slash newsletter. I will be releasing that by the end of October. So I'm just not sure if it'll be the second to last week or the last week of October, but I will have a date set by this time next week so I can let you all know. All right, guys, so apraxia. Let's start out with a case study. Jesse is openly autistic, and he knows he struggles with clumsiness. He's asked his friends to help him with movements at the gym. On his first deadlift, his friends place one plate on each side of the bar. Now, if you don't know, that's roughly 135 pounds. To them, this is a reasonable way to learn. Most guys can pick up 135 pounds on their first shot. But Jesse looks at the bar and he is totally daunted. Nevertheless, he's here to learn and he trusts his friends. So he tries anyways. But when he goes to lift the bar, his knees buckle and he loses his grip. The bar crashes back to the ground before Jesse even stands up. Thankfully, he didn't lift it that far or he may have really hurt his back. Unfortunately, though, Jesse is totally embarrassed, and his friends feel awful. They can't understand what they could have done to help him better. Now, by the end of this podcast, my hope is that you will know exactly how to help Jesse and his friends with their conundrum. Apraxia is the inability to carry out everyday movements and gestures. It's quite common in autistics. Unfortunately, though, we mostly hear apraxia of speech talked about in children. That's just the most common. We hear about it. The second most common time to talk about apraxia is when people are talking about strokes and traumatic brain injuries. But the thing is, apraxia applies to adults. It encompasses all movements and gestures. It really has to do with this inability for your brain to link with your body and really do what they're supposed to do in conjunction with each other. And it is something we share with almost all neurodiversities besides people on our polar opposite end of the spectrum, like psychopaths. We don't, they tend to not be as apraxic, but most neuro, most different neurologies have some version of apraxia or dyspraxia. But like I said, we're only talking about it in children, which really stinks, right? So, what about our clumsy adult asses? (laughs) So, I want to tell you guys a little bit about the classifications of apraxia. There are about eight different classifications and I was actually watching an occupational therapist. Her She goes by OT Miri, and I'll link her in the show notes, and she just had some really awesome videos about apraxia. So, I was watching her, and she was actually saying that the classifications may depend on the source. So, for our purposes, I had to pick one source so that I could really get into the nitty-gritty with you all, so I chose Medical News Today and I'll be listing their classifications. So, the first and most obvious classification, and I'm going to start with this one because this is one we hear about the most, is verbal or oral apraxia. Now, that's the inability to make the movements necessary for speech. That's not to be confused with aphasia. Aphasia is when you actually have trouble understanding or producing the language. So if you have verbal apraxia, you know what you want to say. You can form the sentence in your brain, but when you tell your mouth to do it, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Similar to that, there's buccofacial apraxia, and that is the inability to make face or lip movements on command. So, like, when us autistics like to make jokes about how our face doesn't get the signals we're sending it, that's actually what we're talking about. We're talking about buccal facial um, apraxia, and it's just kind of when our facial expression betrays what we're thinking. It can cause a lot of communication issues, but, uh, you know, as we get older, we find ways around it, right? There's constructional apraxia. That's the inability to copy, draw, or construct basic diagrams and figures. So, autistics that have trouble maybe teaching other people things or conceptualizing a blueprint, things like that, that would be constructional apraxia. Oculomotor apraxia, that has to do with your eye movements. So just the inability to make eye movements on command. So if somebody says, look left, you might have a delay, or maybe you can look left, but the second somebody tells you to look left, you just, like, can't do it. Interestingly, apraxia, for these reasons, because of the inability to, you know, you can do these things normally, but you can't do it on command, sometimes apraxic adults are thought to have oppositional defiance, and that's just not what it is. They just physically can't do what they're being asked. So, the next, the last three versions of apraxia are the most, they're the ones that affect fitness the most. So, they're the ones that I work with the most, so I'm going to be getting a little bit more in depth with these, and also I want you to keep them in mind as we continue to talk about apraxia and the praxis system moving forward. So limb kinetic apraxia. That's L-I-M-B, limb kinetic it's the inability to perform precise, coordinated movements. This is the one I see the most in fellow autistics when I coach them. It really has to be... It has to do with being able to move your arm only up to a certain height and not further, or being able to squat only to a certain depth and not further, or if you hike with a group of friends and you're trying to step in the lead person's footprints, maybe you have trouble doing that. That's limb kinetic apraxia. That's also the thing that I'm really trying to address with the Spatial Agility course. I'm really trying to address that frustration that we have when we just know what movement we're trying to do and our body just won't do exactly what we're trying to tell it to do. So, similar ideomotor apraxia, that's the inability to copy the movement or to learn it by verbal command or to follow those suggestions in the moment. So, for me, I noticed pretty early when my friends would try to teach me uh, to deadlift, I just could not follow. If they stood there and tried to instruct me while I was doing it, I just couldn't do it. I had to break down each one of these exercises, each part of the exercise, and really learn it myself. Because, neurotypicals, as we know, just really don't understand how frustrating apraxia can be. They don't even really understand what it means for us because they don't deal with it the way that we do. And so I just, this is why I do this, you know? This is why I'm here for you guys because I just realized at some point I cannot learn the way that neurotypicals want me to learn, and now I know it's because of apraxia ideational apraxia, that's the inability to plan the movement or sequence the movements efficiently. So, in other words, maybe you don't have the idea motor component, or you do, but however, you've managed to learn the movement regardless. You've managed to already learn the movement. You already know what you're doing, but in ideational apraxia, when, if you actually try to plan the movement, you can't do it. Now, this will, it sounds really abstract, but the way that I want you to think about it is like, if you've ever, if you've ever gone to do a movement or sing a song or recite something that you already know really well, and then you notice because you're thinking about it, you can't get it out of, you can't do it. If you've ever been in that position and then you've said to yourself, just stop thinking about it and do it. And you just let your body take over and that somehow works, that's basically ideational apraxia. That's if you're thinking about the movement, you can't do it. But if you just do it because you already know it, it comes automatically. That's also why a lot of us autistics, we really value routines, because if we can make things automatic, then we can do them intuitively and we don't get all overwhelmed and bogged down. You know, that's one of the reasons. Obviously, I can't speak to all the reasons, but that is a huge reason why routines, I think for a lot of us, is so important. Now, there's also something called dyspraxia, which is basically just a milder version of apraxia. I will do a whole episode on that as well. It's sometimes called developmental coordination disorder. And honestly, most autistic adults probably aren't at full apraxia anymore. You know, we've probably worked through it enough in our childhood and our clumsiness enough where we've become a little bit more coordinated and we're mostly just dyspraxic, you know, by the time we're in our 20s and 30s or so. Now, some other things you should know about apraxia before I move on here, there's no cure for it. Therapy can help, and like I just said, it can obviously get better, and you can train your body to be more co- coordinated over time, but you can't totally fix it. The other thing I want you to know about apraxia is a lot of other things can look like apraxia. There's seizure disorders. There's, you know, aphasia, like I just said, that can look like apraxia, but it's really not. Or if you have some kind of learning difficulty in a certain situation, then that might look like apraxia when it's really just you're not comprehending what somebody's trying to tell you. So you really have to rule all that stuff out before you're sure it's apraxia. That said, though, I really think that us autistics, we know if it's apraxia. We know we're comprehending and we know that we're just not executing the way that we want to. Now, patients tend to not realize they're moving any differently than anyone else. And I said patients because I got this from that medical news today, but basically what this means is, Because we live in our own bodies and a lot of the time our families are, they have the same genetics we do and they might do things that are similar, it's really hard for us to realize that not everyone else is having trouble with their movement. So a lot of the time we don't even realize we're apraxic until we are older and more conditioned, and by then it might not cause as much of a problem for us. So, now that we've talked about the different kinds of apraxia, let's talk about what apraxia actually is. So, apraxia, the prefix a, is kind of like, you know, atypical. It's not quite how it should be. So, apraxia means you have an atypical praxis system. Now your praxis system has two steps that result in purposeful movement, and those two steps are ideation and production. So the first step, ideation or conceptualization. So, if this is your problem, then you're in... you're having trouble before the movement even starts. You might not have any idea what to do, or you might not use objects appropriately. Now, more commonly, you'll hear this talked about with, like, people that end up having dementia later in life. They might try to use a comb as a toothbrush or something, right? But for us autistics, using an object inappropriately might actually come across more like using objects creatively. We might be a little bit more ingenuous. We might decide to repurpose things for other things, especially because, as we all know, people with disabilities, we tend to have less money than others. We might repurpose things creatively just to save ourselves some money. So, Actually, this, if you have this kind of apraxia, in some ways it can actually help you and it can actually help you in the gym, especially if you have a small gym and you want to modify some of the equipment to do things that it might not be meant to do. But, of course, if you do have this kind, you will need to put a little bit more thought into what you do and a little bit more learning into everything that you do so that you can make sure that you're staying safe while you're doing things inappropriately so that you give yourself that leeway to be creative and do things a little bit weird, but you also have the knowledge to know whether or not you're going to hurt yourself doing so. I think that's a very important component to this. Now, if you all, if you have issues with ideation and completion, you'll also have issues with a multi-step task, or maybe you can you can conceptualize a a simple task, but when it comes to a multi-step task, you might have no idea of the demands. You might not be able to really conceptualize the different steps and put them in the right order. And this is the point where I would say it's a disadvantage. This is what makes us more prone to, like, those quote-unquote silly gym injuries. The things that, you know, people say, why would you do that? How did you not know you'd hurt yourself?" So again, prioritize safety and learning so that while you're learning and while you're doing this, you have that leeway to maybe not plan it right. And you're, you don't have so much weight on the bar that when you do execute the movement incorrectly, you don't hurt yourself, but it's more of a learning experience. Now, that's the first part of the praxis system. That's if you have issues with conceptualizing the movements and sequences and stuff like that before you do them. But some people don't have any trouble with that. So they're totally fine with that part but it's when they get to the production or completion part of the task, that's when they have a problem. So this is like when I was telling you that I know how to do something and I can conceptualize it, but sometimes if I think about it too hard, I have to stop and say, wait a minute, don't think so hard or you're not gonna be able to do it. So that's kind of like when you get into the com- the completion part of your praxis system, that's when that part starts to interfere, is when you know how to do it, but you just can't translate it into actual action. It also means that you can't do it when asked, or you can't mimic others. So, if you have trouble learning dance moves on the fly, if you have to, like, really think through them, if you have to really study, if you can only really do certain movements and other movements are, like, really, really hard for you to mimic, or I'll get certain dance moves confused with certain lifts. Those kinds of things will actually be part of apraxia in the production or completion phase of your praxis system. It generally presents as awkward movement or clumsiness, so you might have trouble adjusting your grip on, you know, while lifting weights, or you might have trouble pressing an icon on a touchscreen. I hate when I do that. I'll touch the icon next to it, and then I'll close it, and then I'll touch it next to it again, and then I'll, like, I just want to touch the icon I want. That's another form of apraxia. So, guys, what does this mean for you and your fitness? So, I think I touched upon a lot of this, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear. You might have to work and think harder to get movements right and perform them safely. You might have to practice more at home. You might have to practice more abstract movements. You might have to, you might have to do something like yoga. I know everybody hates it when people suggest that. I'm not saying it cures anything. I'm just saying things like yoga and Pilates can really help get your core and your back in alignment so that when you, if, like I said, it's all about giving yourself that leeway to be clumsy until you learn. So, if your core and your back are strong, you're a lot less likely to hurt yourself if you do mess up. You might have to watch other people a lot to learn. (laughs) When I first started lifting, I watched Dana Lynn Bailey constantly because she was the only person, well, I don't think she was the only, but she was, just the way that her husband cut and edited her videos and stuff, it was really easy to see what she was doing, to really watch her movements, and to really learn those movements so that I could internalize it. And by the time I got to the gym and I was anxious there, I wasn't just like fumbling. It gave me kind of a leg up. Now, you might not learn by watching, in which case you'll have to seek alternatives. You might need to get a coach who has enough patience and empathy to actually understand what's going on with you and help you figure out things like how to get your back in line and things like that. You might have to learn to read about the movement and then visualize it before you do them, and I don't mean just visual visualization in your mind's eye. I also mean sensation-based visualization. So, instead of just watching somebody perform the movement, you read how the movement goes and you, you try to picture what that's going to feel like in your body. If you're not, if you're not a visual person, that might be the only way you can do it. Another way you can learn it is to learn based on timing. So, some autistics have an amazing concept for time and they're, like, almost bound to it. I am the total opposite. But if you're one of those autistics who have an amazing relationship with time, you can actually, instead of imagining your body's sensations, you can kind of imagine the timing of each step of the movement, almost like in a rhythmic sense. Now, again, it's all about making sure that you have enough leeway to be clumsy if you do mess up, so learn the movements without weight. This helps you make the movement intuitive without putting the weight on as because weight on the bar is going to be distracting while you're learning because you're trying to feel your body sensations and everything else. And then if you go ahead and put weight on that bar, that's going to distract you because that's an extra sensation. So you want to put it, limit your sensations as much as possible while you're learning. Don't overthink the movement. I said that a couple times, but again, if Different different kinds of apraxia will actually mean that you have to internalize the movement and try to not think about it when you do it. So, if you can internalize it, if you can make it intuitive, you'll be a lot safer and that will help a lot too. Now, you may just not be able to do certain movements, especially at first. That's totally okay. You can always come back to those movements later on when you're more advanced and you've learned more about other things because, you'd be surprised how some movements in the gym can actually help you figure out how to do other movements. They'll just kind of translate in your brain. So, maybe you can learn to do a lunge, but you can't learn to do a squat yet or vice versa. And that's totally fine. It's just about getting your body to do what it can do for now and then trying again when you feel more confident that you've grown. So, again, trial and error or, of course, find a different mode of working out. There's absolutely no harm in that. There's no harm in just deciding that, you know, weightlifting isn't good for you or dancing or anything that involves a certain level of coordination maybe just isn't good for you, and maybe you just have to find a different way to work out, and that is totally fine. Keep trying. Find that thing that makes you feel good while you're doing it. So, Do you remember our friend Jesse? He's openly autistic and he knows he struggles, but he's asked his friends to help him with movements at the gym. On his first deadlift, his friends place 135 pounds in front of him and he tries to pick it up, but he ends up dropping the bar. Thankfully, he didn't lift it that far or he could have really hurt his back, but of course Jesse's super embarrassed and his friends want to know how they can help him better in the future. So, what would you have done to help Jesse that his friends didn't? Jesse's friends can help him by removing the weight from his deadlifts completely. This may even include removing the bar. If he needs to be holding something, he can hold a dowel or what have you, but basically he needs to get rid of that distraction of the weight. From there, they can break down the movements into pieces. So that goes into that multi-step ideational apraxia, right? They might start by teaching Jesse how to hinge at the hips, followed by how to keep his back straight while doing so. Then they might give him the bar back and teach him how to let his arms dangle while he's holding the bar before putting it all together. But whatever they do, they should let Jesse move at his own pace don't rush him and help him slow down when necessary. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Autistic Bodybuilding Podcast. Subscribing is completely free and you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast by searching for the Autistic Bodybuilding Podcast in the search bar. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend or leaving a review on iTunes. If you'd like to view a transcript of today's show, as well as all references used, visit autisticbodybuilding.com transcripts. Your donations help me keep the show ad free. If you'd like to donate, visit autisticbodybuilding.com donate. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, find me at Audibuilder. Email me show suggestions and questions at autisticbodybuilding at gmail.com or just visit autisticbodybuilding.com for the latest news and updates. As always, all these links will be in the show notes for your convenience. I hope you'll come back next week. Until then, stay fit and flappy.